0: Hello, Massachusetts and beyond. Welcome to this special crossover episode of Marky on the Mic and Team Marky TV. On the mic with us today is the Team Marky Bargaining Committee, who made history as the first unionized state campaign in Massachusetts history. They're going to discuss the importance of unions and how the campaign's values influenced their decision to unionize. Please enjoy this special episode and make sure to subscribe for more Marky on the Mic ma 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 on the mic. Our guests today are Nicole Bardaz. She's a
1: communications assistant on the digital team. Um, Liam Horseman, who is a field organizer. And Jamie Cobb, who is a regional organizing director. Um, We're going to chat today about our recent unionization. Yay, very exciting. Um, What inspired them to join Team Markey, and how all of our lives have changed since the COVID-19 outbreak began.
0: Yeah, so uh, my name is Adriana. assistant. Um, if you want to hear more about me, watch Team marky TV episode <laughs> one. Um, but today I'm co-hosting with Olivia, our digital media producer. And first, let's talk about the union. Um, meet the staffers who are joining us. Um, the Ed Markey for US Senate campaign became the first Massachusetts statewide campaign ever to unionize. So that's pretty historic. And it's um, thanks to the efforts of our wonderful um, staffers who helped propel this movement. So let's talk a little bit about that process. Um, Jamie, I think you're best qualified to talk about how this unionization process began. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: yeah so, um, I got on this campaign um back in September, and I had actually come from a campaign that was in the process of unionizing. um and it just felt like like this is you know, Ed Markey has been such a staunch like supporter and a leader in labor movements, like he came from a labor family. And I just felt like if we we are a campaign that We like our our campaign that campaigns how we want to govern, right? Like we support the labor movements. We were out um, on picket lines with the teachers bringing coffee and donuts and things like that. And it just seemed like the right move for the campaign. And, you know, campaign workers, we work really long and stressful hours and, you know, after talking to a lot of the staff, it just seemed like the best way to go um, versus everybody, you know, trying to get what's best for them, like, let's do what's best collectively for the group.
0: Absolutely. Um, so you sort of kind of started that process of doing the research and kind of brainstorming how to go about it, um, and then you reached out to everyone else on the staff. So Liam and Nicole, why were you inspired to unionize just as staffers what what really kind of made you want to unionize
3: yeah so i can so on my actually my second day of work um i got a text message from jamie uh that was hey um i know that we just met we're having this call tonight about this thing that we might want to do just jump on (laughs) um and so on my very second day on this campaign i got on this call and we were talking about you know, do we want to unionize? How do we want to do it? How do we do it in a way that's positive for us that make sure that it's not um, like an affront against our managers, that it's just making sure that they know that we just want to live our values, that we have certain things that we need to stand up for. Um, And so I had come from a campaign before. So my first campaign And I posted this on my social media after we unionized. This is one of the reasons I was really excited is so my first campaign, I was paid uh, one third of the salary of all of the other organizers. So everybody in my same position with my same title, working the same hours, they got paid three times more than me. I was like 20 years old. I didn't know how to negotiate. Nobody stuck up for me. Um, And before that, even the staff had been considering unionizing and they didn't do it because they weren't sure if the people who came on after them would want to unionize so they didn't want to like unilaterally make that decision. Um and so when I was on this call I was like at the very end Jamie was like hey you've been really quiet like do you have anything you want to say? And I was like actually yeah like I think this is the right idea for us. I think it's the right idea for not just us but everybody who comes on the campaign after us to make sure that they're also given worker protections to make sure that they're not overworked, that we are creating a sustainable and inclusive campaign that's accessible to everybody. Um, That's really important to me. And also that we're we're, we're setting this precedent for all campaigns in Massachusetts and across the country that unionizing is the way to go and that you need to take care of your campaign staff
4: yeah absolutely i mean something that we talk about a lot on the campaign is that it's important to us not just that we win but but how we win that we're running a, a campaign that's in line with the values that, that ed holds and that we're campaigning for and i think that you know unionizing and ensuring that the work that we're doing is you know sustainable and accessible for people was really important to all of us um and i think that one of the things that was most remarkable to me was how just immediately on board, on principle, everyone on on staff was. Um, You know, we have Nicole on on her second day joining a a union call, or our other field organizer, Alyssa, who on her first day came to a union meeting and signed a union card. And I think just the fact that people who were joining this team just held those values and brought them to this team, I think was really cool and remarkable for me to see.
1: That's amazing, obviously. Liam, what were some goals you had going into this process? Did you, like, what did you expect going into it? What did you want to get out of it?
4: Yeah, that's a good question. I, so I had never been a part of of a unionized workforce before, and you know, I've never unionized people. And so I didn't fully know what to expect. And I think... You know, one goal I think that we all had was making sure that it was going to be a really positive experience for everyone, and that people would feel empowered by it. And I think, you know I, I can speak for nicole and and Jamie and saying that we really felt that, that everyone on the campaign, you know from ed and and you know our campaign manager John Walsh and all of senior staff on down was really, supportive of it the whole time. And so I think, you know, alongside the specific goals that we wanted in the contract, there was that larger goal of just ensuring that, you know, we were going about this process in a way that, um, you know, reflected this incredible team that we have.
1: Jamie, did you have any, any other goals or or something that you're really happy that you were able to
2: achieve in this process that you wanted to share? Yeah, um, I think just to build off uh, something that Liam just said about, um, about we, us wanting to have this positive experience, like the, the, first, the first like meeting that we really had um, with like senior staff, they were so excited. They were so proud of us and they just were like repeatedly said like, this is going to be great. Like, I am so proud. This is such a reflection of the kind of campaign that we're building. Um, and so, you know, like, we wanted to keep that momentum. Um, a big thing for me is I'm a single parent. We have two two other single parents um, on the field team. Um, and my, my big thing was making sure that, like, you know, we had health care coverage for our kids that was, like, that reflected the values of you know ed being a, a big supporter of medicare for all um and so you know one of our big things was we got 100 percent of dependent coverage and for me that is so huge and like i haven't and i'm going to today to go sign my kid up for health care because you know we just moved here so she didn't have it and now i'm really excited about it um so yeah so that was that was the biggest that was a big win um and just the experience was was really amazing.
1: That's so exciting. I'm just I'm so happy about this. Um, I know for me, uh, the the days off setup has has been really exciting to think about. I just think that with that, we have done a small part, maybe, but hopefully a large part in shifting like campaign culture. You know, there's such a such a culture of just, you know, workhorse and, and you know, really bur- getting burnout, you know. So I think the days off uh, implementation is, is going to be really good to combat that. And I think it's really important. What would each of you like to tell workers, um, campaign workers or, or workers in general? You know, it's May Day as we record this, International Workers Day. What would you like to say to workers who are thinking about unionizing themselves? Um, Jamie, if you want to start, go ahead. Yeah,
2: um, I would say do it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like, and it's going to be this nerve wracking process of like, you always think, what What are my bosses going to do? How are they going to react? Are they going to get retaliated? Are we going to get retaliated against? Like, there are so many things that I found out in this process. Like, you know, if you don't live in a, a right to work state, you can't get retaliated against. Like, it's illegal. And mm-hmm you know, this is, it's going to be what's best, not only for like you as a human to, to be in a union, but for everybody involved, for the people that are going to come after you, and for the people that are already there now that you see are struggling. uh, It's, it's a good thing to be able to have a strong voice in your workplace. So do it. That's my advice.
0: (laughs) Nicole, do you have anything um, you'd like to tell potential (laughs) unionized workers?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the first thing is Always talk about your salary with your coworkers, like don't keep that to yourself, even if you think that you're making less, even if you think that you know like this is embarrassing, like why aren't I getting paid enough? It must be because I'm not good enough. Share that with your coworkers and they will help you, and you can stand together and you can demand more money or you can demand whatever you need um, and so I guess like all my little like anecdote from where we like started this unionization process. So we walk into the, the like bargaining room and I was super nervous. And I was like, oh, like what's, what's, what are our managers gonna think? Like, are they gonna, I don't know. I don't know how this is gonna go. I don't know what to expect. And so I told our union reps and our union, I was like, guys, I wanna start with this video that we just did about labor unions. We just had taken part in the night here um, airline caterer strike or picketing at Logan Airport. And there was a really cool video that came of it. And I was like, I think that we should start with this. And we were like all set to do that until our manager, so until the campaign manager, John Walsh, just started quoting what the senator said in that video, um, which is that you can't just ask for your your rights, you have to take them. And that he was really proud of us. Um, So that's what I have to say. Don't ask for your rights, take them.
4: Absolutely. Like, I, I just. For anyone who's thinking about unionizing, I would just want to emphasize how immensely empowering the process is. Like, I was thinking about the first time, like, all of us were sitting around the table together in, in the Teamsters Hall, uh, and, you know, we asked, what what do we want? You know, what do we need to do this work um, successfully and, and sustainably? And it occurred to me that we don't often get the chance to ask that of ourselves in a professional capacity, like, what do we want and, and what do we need? And to have the chance to not just ask that question, but then advocate for it. And then for you know, campaign management and senior staff to respond by saying, yes, you know, we are proud of you, we support you, let's talk about how we can make this happen. Like that was just really remarkable. And I think that you know, every every worker should have that experience.
3: Yeah. And I one last thing to add on is um, I mean, just building off what Liam said, the solidarity in our team now is incredibly strong. Um, Like we learned a lot about ourselves and what our coworkers need to be happy, sustainable, successful people. And even if going into this contract, right, there were certain things that, you know, not all of us are on the campaign health insurance because I mean, I'm under 26, right. So I'm still on my family's health insurance, but we're not fighting for ourselves. We're fighting for every single person on this team. And, To have everybody know that we're all, we all have each other's backs. We're all looking out for each other. We're all trying to make this campaign to make our team and just campaigns in general, like a, a better, more inclusive space. That was really incredible. And I think we came out of it a stronger, just a stronger workforce than before.
0: Yeah, I definitely feel a sense of camaraderie that um, it was certainly there before, but it's even stronger now. And sometimes, you know, our team is so big, it's really hard to connect with everyone. So this kind of really provided a pathway to further connect. So we thank you all for kind of taking the lead on, on this unionization process. You guys were integral components. We're going to take a short break. So enjoy this message from Ed Markey about our campaign unionizing.
5: Congratulations, Team Markey, on organizing a union. My father was a union leader. He always said that it's unions that make our country great. And with this union, it will make our grassroots organizing even greater than it has been, uh, because you're out there advocating for a Green New Deal, for Medicare for all, to make sure that every family in our country is able to maximize their God-given abilities. Unions make that possible. Congratulations.
1: Welcome back to Team Marky TV. Now I'd like to talk to these incredible organizers about uh, why they got involved with Team Marky, how they ended up on this campaign. Um, Liam, let's start with you. How did you get inspired to join Team Marky? Tell us how you got here.
4: Yeah. So w- when I was thinking about next steps that I wanted to do on a campaign, I knew I wanted to work as part of the climate movement in, in some way. And you know when this primary emerged in Massachusetts, I thought, you know, what what better way to help not just the national climate movement, but the climate movement specifically in in Massachusetts and in the place that I know than you know reelecting the co-author of the Green New Deal? So. I think climate was my entry into Ed's work, but in working on the campaign, I've learned about just all of the other really remarkable things that Ed has been a part of that I didn't know about before, you know, in particular telecommunications, not just in terms of his work on net neutrality, but ensuring that public libraries have access to Wi-Fi and that students through their schools can help get Wi-Fi at home and ensuring that everyone has access to the internet. And... You know, whenever I talk with people about Ed, I always have to stop myself before I just go on and on and start listing all of his accomplishments. But, you know, I think like being on this team has just you know further deepened the commitment um, that I have to to him and to all of the you know progressive policies that he stands for.
1: Nicole, how did you get inspired to join Team Markey?
3: Of course. Um. So I am progressive to my bones. Um, or a little farther left than that. But uh, so I was in college um, this fall semester. I graduated in December and I knew that I wanted to graduate early because I knew that I wanted to jump onto a race in 2020 because I couldn't just bother to like sit on the sidelines. And one of the big things for me, I think is making sure that our representatives are progressive, right? So races that I was looking at were some primary challenger races, um, I think that competition is a really big thing for democracy, right? So I love primaries. Um, and so I also came from a field background. I've worked with John Walsh um, numerous times. So John is our campaign manager. He is one of my favorite people in this world. Um, he's the probably the one who taught me the most about organizing and who taught me that organizing and campaign work is about caring for people. Um, and without that, none of this means anything Uh, and so john texted me back in i think october to see if i wanted to come on this campaign um and so the next day we grabbed coffee and i thought it was just gonna be like an informal conversation i thought we were just gonna like chat about what he was doing and like how college was going and i sat down and um he started talking about ed and uh talking about he was like oh have you seen the desk ad John, what what desk ad? What are you talking about? And he was like, "Well, like, little do you know that Ed Markey, um, who like, there's the phrase like he's not a he's not a show horse, he's a workhorse, right? Like, Ed Ed is Ed. He doesn't get all that much attention, and so I didn't know all that much about him um, other than I'd seen him around a bit. He was like, "Well, like, you should know that. So when Ed w- first got into this into the state house, he stood up to the state house bosses." he put forward the like single biggest criminal justice reform bill in like at that time um and he was disciplined for it he got his desk thrown out into the hall he took his friends into the state house they made an ad um that was i'm sure you've seen it the bosses can't tell me where to sit or yeah the bosses can tell me where to sit but they can't tell me where to stand and that's the mantra that Ed takes into everything—he's not afraid to stand up for working people. He's not afraid to stand against um, even the Democratic establishment, or against Mitch McConnell, or against Trump, or against corporations like BP and um, other big corporations, right? And so that's something that I love—that he is just this righteous fighter. Um, and so at the end of the conversation, when I was like, "Well, okay, this sounds great, but why? Why should I choose Marky over everybody else?" and it's because there really isn't anybody there really isn't anybody else that's doing that work for so long all the time there is nobody else that was standing up in the 19 in 1970 1980 fighting for climate change and has stuck with it to this day there was nobody else that was that helped create uh, protections for disability workers like long long before this was like a real conversation right all of these things he's been fighting for forever and we need to keep him in this senate now more than ever
0: absolutely uh jamie do you want to tell us um what inspired you to join team markey
2: yeah i don't even i don't know if my story can really follow that up um but as i mentioned earlier uh, i'm from south carolina originally i was born and raised in charleston Um, where our senators are Tim Scott and Lindsey Graham. So we don't have any democratic establishment to look up to. So I had worked for John Walsh previously. I've done other campaigns that were all based down in South Carolina um, and working remotely from from different places. Um, And so I got a call that was like, hey, I know you're doing presidential stuff, but what about this Marky guy? And I was like, I don't know who that is. I'll look into it. And, you know, part of, you know, talking about living in the South and living in such a red state is, you know, you, you, you think about like the racism, you think about all of that, but what you don't think about is how like deeply seated and deeply rooted that is in every other, you know, issue. So a big issue for me that I have been fighting for since you know, I've been in politics for the last four or five years was gun violence prevention. So I was um, in high school my junior year, the first time one of my friends got killed. um, He had left a party um, and instead of driving drunk, he decided he was going to pull into a parking lot and sleep it off and wait until the morning. Uh, Someone was trying to steal his car and saw that he was sleeping in the backseat and shot him. And then two years later we had the Charleston Nine shooting uh, where Dylan Roof came into a historically black church uh, and killed nine African-Americans, including the activist that was um, the leader of the church, the pastor. And then um, in February of 2018, my best friend was killed by her boyfriend. Uh, So for me, gun violence has just been like a huge part that has like a af- of my life that has like affected me and got me to this path but it's also like something that I really truly care about um and you know ed passed a lot of like really great criminal justice reform bills and a really um and really amazing like gun violence prevention legislation um and so that's what brought me here was the mass act that he wrote which basically um takes all of Massachusetts's, Massachusetts uh, legislation around gun violence prevention and puts it in place on a federal level and his research into, uh, and the, I think it was $20 billion that he got put into the CDC to research gun violence as a public health crisis. So I came here to continue to fight for him because, you know, we need someone who is going to be that progressive, who's going to be, um, you know, an enemy of the NRA. And my favorite quote is, you know, he's going to make the NRA not relevant anymore. Uh, so that's, that's why I'm here and that's why I came.
1: Thank you for sharing that Jamie. I know a lot of us have personal reasons for supporting Ed and I think that's part of what makes our team so passionate. Um, We're gonna take another little short break. Um, When we get back, we're gonna talk about how all of our lives um, and our roles on the campaign have been affected by this
0: pandemic and how we've been adapting to that. So stay tuned. We're taking a short break now to share a story about Ed's work holding BP accountable for the Gulf oil spill.
5: There was a huge accident in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico. BP was responsible. I was the chairman of the committee with oversight over uh, the climate and over energy. And so on the first day, BP said, it's a thousand barrels a day. On the second or third day, they said, it's 5,000 barrels a day. Then somebody called me and said, you know, it could be a lot bigger than that. And BP actually has like eight or 10 different camera angles underneath the ocean looking at that spill. If you could get a hold of those camera angles, we could broadcast them, and then we could measure how much oil is coming out. And so BP fought me. Finally, I told him, you don't have a choice. You're going to give me all of those camera angles. And we popped it up on the website of uh, my committee. And all of a sudden, the entire Web for Capitol Hill crashed, because that's how many people went to that site immediately in order to see what was going on. And then scientists at Woods Hole, scientists out at Scripps in California, they measured it and they said, it's 60,000 barrels a day of oil going into the ocean all day, every day. And so the reason that BP cared, of course, is that they had to pay triple damages for every barrel of oil per day and it was going to cost them 5 billion, 10 billion, 20 billion dollars in fines. So they were hiding it from the American people while despoiling the Gulf of Mexico. So we called it the spill cam and it's the spill cam that blew the whistle that then ensured that the federal government would move in, take it out of the control of BP and begin to solve that problem because the magnitude of the response has to be equal to the magnitude of the problem. And when BP said it's only 1,000 barrels a day, it didn't seem so big. At 60,000 barrels a day, we needed the federal government to come in and just to mandate what the solutions were to put something together in order to protect our environment. I'm very proud of what I did to shine the spotlight on it, to put the pressure on BP, and by the way, uh, the federal government to be able to shut that down before it did any more damage to our ocean, to the fish, to everything that was being unbelievably, catastrophically damaged and ruined in the Gulf of Mexico. So we don't wanna repeat that again. Unfortunately, with Donald Trump, we run the risk of someone who's gonna turn a blind eye again, do the bidding of the oil industry. And as Judge Santayana said, Those who do not learn from history are bound to repeat it, and I think Donald Trump is setting up a situation where, unfortunately, we may repeat the very same environmental mistakes that were made in the past.
0: So we are back, and we're going to talk about uh, relational organizing. That's what our campaign is all about. Uh, We like to interact face-to-face with voters, and this was inspired by Senator Markey. He loves to talk one-on-one with voters, and so that's how we built our campaign. Um, But because of COVID-19, we obviously can't do that anymore. So let's talk to our guests about how this has changed their work life. And I think we can start off by just briefly explaining what each of you do, is part of the Ed Marquis for US Senate campaign. So Liam, do you want to kind of give us the, a general overview of what your role is on the team?
4: Yeah, so I'm the field organizer for Metro West in parts of Middlesex and Worcester counties. So there are 26 towns that I'm responsible for organizing and making sure that you know we have supporters who are you know, mobilized and active in, in helping our campaign and making sure that they can take on leadership roles of their own in, in their communities. Um, and so, you know, before the pandemic hit, most of our work was focused on getting ready for town caucuses and ensuring that, you know, supporters ran to be delegates and, and were elected as delegates to support Ed at the state convention. Um, but, you know, since the pandemic, obviously, all of our work has become remote. And a lot of that has focused on on phone banks um, and, and, you know, relational friend-to-friend phone banks and, you know, encouraging people to talk to folks in their network about Ed and, and making sure that, you know, they feel comfortable doing so because I think for a lot of folks who are involved in politics, you know, they're comfortable just getting a list of voters and, and calling through that and that asking them instead to reach out to people they know is, is a little bit of an adjustment. And so I think a lot of what I do when I'm, you know, talking with volunteers now is making sure that they feel comfortable with this and, and supported in doing that.
0: Absolutely. Um, Jamie, Give us an overview of what what it's like being a regional organizing director.
2: Yeah. So um, I am the regional organizing director for the South Shore, Brockton area, and the Cape and Islands. Um, So I've got this big turf that is pretty much everything south of Boston, not including Congressional District 4. Um, And so I'm in charge of two field organizers. Um, and we have split our district into three areas, and I do very similar things to that Liam does. As I'm mobilizing volunteers, um, I spend a lot of time organizing caucuses. But I'm also um, training and providing support for my organizers on the ground. Um, so I, you know, I do I do a little bit of everything. I'm an organizer, but I'm also, you know, the person that my field organizers come to whenever they have questions or problems or needs. Um, and you know, that's that's what I do. So, how has it changed since I've been home? I am um, also now a getting a master's degree in education. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have started homeschooling uh, my kid. Um, with this remote loaning thing, I thought thing? you
0: were serious for a second.
3: That's, that's me too, me too. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be. Go, like, no. I, I was no, like, Jamie, still, there
4: are only twenty-four hours incredible.
3: in the day. <laughs> I was like, are, are there though? No, how many are <laughs> hours we anymore? Do we go <laughs> by
0: those? <laughs> Um, no. Ahead, Jamie.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, so like not actually getting a master's degree, but I have started homeschooling, and you know I spend my days organizing, talking to volunteers, and I spend my nights making lesson plans for the next day for K so and then I spend my mornings on morning meetings and then at the same time you know laying out what Kay's day is going to look like so that is that is what it's looked like for me I mean we we do uh, virtual events and my region has decided like as collectively together my field organizers and myself have decided that we are no lo- we're no longer going to look at geographical like things like lines and stuff like those are no longer important in the time of covid Mm -hmm. so everything we do we do collectively as together like instead of looking things like community by community it's like we are all in this together and so yeah so that's what we're doing here
0: all right, awesome! So, congratulations on your master's. Let me know when the <laughs> graduation is, um, Nicole. Can you tell us a little bit about you're my counterpart because you are a communications assistant, but you're the digital communications.
3: assistant. Mm-hmm.
0: So, can you tell us a little bit about how, what that is like, and how it differs from my job?
3: Sure. Um, so, I can. I'll talk about my job uh, pre-pandemic and post-pandemic. Um, so, pre-pandemic, uh, I was Mostly responsible for a lot of the social media um, and copyright or copywriting for our social media posts Um, and just helping, yeah, just helping support our social media operation, grow that, um, put out messages, uh, all sorts of things like that. Um, In addition to a couple projects here and there, longer term things, um, especially helping create a sustainable calendar system for the communications department so we'd all be on the same page. Um, so that, that sorts of thing, like very, very standard for a communications assistant. Uh, and then after the pandemic, uh, I've been doing that. And, um, I also took on a role as a digital organizer. So we noticed that there was a need for, uh, to assist the field team to do their jobs, uh, that there was this whole online space that we needed to leverage to our benefit to help people relationally organize online. Um, and we weren't really sure where to start. Uh, and so I started putting a few of those plans in place. I've helped build a Slack um, for our volunteers, which is going really well. It's a really great community space. Everybody's really positive and enthusiastic. Um, so, for anybody watching, join that. If you haven't yet, um, we built out a Facebook group so that our volunteers can stay in touch with our team. Um, and I've just been assisting on various projects here and there, in addition to doing all of the stuff that I was doing before, so social media uh copywriting and all sorts of things like that. Um, and then I I think the last piece of my job is just um, being, I, I've tried to sort of be a bridge between the field team and the digital team to ensure that uh, all of our organizers and our regional organizing directors get the support that they need, um, that they have all of the tools that they need to be successful, especially now that everything's online. And so we have this joke here on the digital team that Everybody is digital now. We're all online. We're all on Zoom calls all the time. Everybody is part of the digital team. Um, and so I am trying to make that a reality.
1: Yeah, definitely uh, a fascinating combination of of those two aspects and well suited to you, if I may say so. Um, I know of being on the digital team, I, I would say that our work has, at least my work, has not changed very much. I'm still making videos on my computer pretty much all day. It's just. <laughs> I'm stuck inside instead of being in, in Newton. Um, but Jamie and Liam, I, I'm fascinated by how Field has had to adapt, fascinated and impressed by Field has adapted um, because, as Adriana mentioned, so much of what you guys do is about face-to-face interactions. And with that being sort of impossible now, um, I'm wondering how, how you've overcome that and how you've adapted um, and how you've been able to connect with voters, if you wanted to talk a little bit about that.
2: Yeah. um, I think, you know, uh, first off, let me just say shout out to everything that Nicole has been doing with and for the field team. Uh, Mm -hmm. We have greatly appreciated the, the support from digital. Um, And also uh, if you haven't yet, and you're watching this now, go to support.edmarkey.com and create your own supporter page um, and, and help us organize your network. But, you know, the biggest The biggest challenge, right, to not be able to meet someone face-to-face, to to not be able to knock on their door um, and say, hey, you know, I am an Ed Markey volunteer, organizer, whatever, um, and I want to talk to you a little bit about Ed Markey. The, The biggest challenge has been, like, how do we do this in a way that understands the stress that everybody's under? because of COVID and understanding the trauma that everybody's going through, but also in a way that, you know, we have a campaign um, and we have to still run it. And we have been very nimble here on the field team, but a lot of it has been surrounded by different, really exciting virtual events. Like I never thought I would ever throw an organizing meeting that was all virtual, but like I, and I, but I do them two times a week and our volunteers are so happy every time they're like not only do we get to see our favorite team but also they just make us call our family and friends um so it's been it's been really exciting to to like to to you know completely overhaul what is normally organizing and create this new and very impactful uh system um yeah so that's what that's that's how it's changed that's what we're doing
4: yeah, I mean it's it's tough because so much of our jobs are about creating communities around this campaign, and you know I think we spent a lot of time when the pandemic first hit asking ourselves how do we create community when you can't bring people together, and I think that we've done a really good job of adapting that you know to to the digital space. Um, you know we host remote phone banks, you know on Google Hangout calls, on on Zoom calls like this. Uh, and something that I've started to do is asking people to to stay on the Zoom call while they're, you know, calling their friends and family or while they're calling voters so that people can kind of see one another making calls and, um, you know, have that sense of community like you would if you were in a physical space together doing a phone bank. And the first time I asked volunteers to do this, I really had no idea how it was going to go over. I thought people might just you know, refuse. They might say, you know, it's so awkward, all of us being on this call, watching us call, you know, other other people. But volunteers really, really took to it, and they like it. And And, you know, the thing that I always hear from people when they're trying this out for the first time is, you know, how much they, you know, enjoy kind of sharing this space with other people and feeling like they are you know, a a part of this broader team making calls. And then I think that when everyone is in their own homes, you know, they're really looking for that sense of being a part of something greater than themselves. And, you know, I'm glad that we can give that to people.
1: If each of you would like to share um, an opportunity that you found, obviously this pandemic has been um, a massive, massive tragedy and every day, brings more horrible headlines, um, but I know that it's been um, a creative opportunity, I would say, for the digital team. We've been forced to get more creative, hence uh, you know, Team Marky TV and posting everything on Zoom. Um, so I wonder if you've found something similar in opportunity that you've um, been able to, to act upon during all of this.
3: I can go first for this question. Um So I guess first I can talk a little bit about uh, the challenges that I've been facing. Um, One of those, I think, probably similar to a lot of people out there, um, but in particular for my job, um, a lot of what I do is read news. I read news and I tell people about it. And I tell people what our campaign thinks about it. And every single day I read news about how people are dying and how the government had the chance to stop it. And they didn't. And how Ed Markey has been calling since January uh, or February for a global health star, Um, how Ed Markey has been calling for uh, the government to track this pandemic, how Ed Markey has been calling for all of these things. And for months and months and months, nobody listened. And even still, he's calling for Donald Trump to fully use the Defense Production Act to make the 3.5, I think it is, billion masks that we need. And it's still not being heard. Um, so a lot of my challenge is I am just incredibly angry all the time. Um, and I think that does kind of take a toll on my productivity a little bit is, I mean, it's, it's hard. It's hard to look at what's happening and still work through it. Um, but there's an opportunity there, uh, which is, I mean, you've all probably heard at Marquis phrase, which is, um, don't agonize, organize. Um, and I've really, really internalized that. Maybe, I don't know, too much. <laughs> um, and I mean, so there's there's an opportunity to use this to look around and say, well now, all of the injustices that are happening, that have been happening for years, all of this, the systemic injustices, systemic racism, um, environmental racism that's contributing to communities of color facing the brunt of this crisis, right? We were seeing that here in Chelsea. Um, that low-income people don't have the support they need, all of these things, there is an opportunity for us to have these conversations um, and provoke these conversations that people to think about it and listen over. We can start putting the groundwork in place, or we're even putting the groundwork in place now to rectify this so that our society will come out of this stronger and more resilient than before. Um, So that's one opportunity. so that's like that's a that's a bigger one that I've been thinking about a lot. Um, the other one is, uh I just I mean because we're all online now, right? So like we used to be in our headquarters. Um, and the digital team we existed in our little like cave studio. Olivia knows there was no natural light. it was like maybe like a like a five foot by like ten foot space. We were really <laughs> cozy, maybe a little bigger. We <laughs> were um, really cozy. But I didn't get a huge chance to interact with the rest of the team. Um, and so one like really huge thing about this is because we're all online, all of those geographic barriers are really broken down. Um, and so I've really enjoyed the opportunity to get to know our field team in different parts of the state, to get to talk to the people that I didn't talk to before, and with them build these programs that I wouldn't have had the opportunity to build before because I just didn't know... They, I, I didn't have the opportunity to talk to them and have these like creative brainstorming sessions about like, well, what do you need? What can we do here? How can I support you? Um, and so we started doing like Sunday brainstorming sessions, but, and like four projects came from that, right? And so just the opportunity to connect with the team, to use their ideas. Um, I think that's really great. Turn my, turn my rage into something productive.
2: And I, I love the marking line of let's don't, agonize organize um and it's something that we've truly it's not just nicole we've we've all you know kind of internalized that statement and made it you know into something that we have to say every day because you know we're all we're all at home we're all in this together and geographical barriers are just a social construct and they're not real anymore um so we're all connected uh online and i think you know my biggest challenge is you know living in my own cozy apartment which is great but being no longer just I'm a parent at home and I work outside of my home like it's now I'm a parent at home and I'm a work at home person and I have turned into a chef and all of these things and trying to figure out a way to to make that work with you know still continuing to organize and I feel like the biggest opportunity that I didn't necessarily I was never I never really felt like was important to the structure of my day was like we have a schedule from nine to six and like we are such like we now have time management skills that we were not really able to develop because how do you when your kid goes to school for eight hours a day and you have you know and you work for eight hours a day you don't need time management now like we have this schedule and that's been really great um and the opportunity to collab with other departments um but even you know to collab in our own department and really this is not anything that we've ever gone through before this is this is new this is you know exciting and exciting in like the worst all of the worst ways but like it's exciting to be able to kind of develop what your field program is going to look like when you're not the senior staffer that's that's in charge of it and that's what we've been able to do on field is be like look I think this program will really work if we do it this way and and make our own systems Uh, and I've I've never been able to collaborate on a field team like this before on this level.
4: Yeah I mean I I think our team has been you know not just in field but in in digital and in all the different departments of our campaign have been really good at taking challenges and, and turning them into opportunities you know i think signatures is, is the, the one that comes to mind where you know in a normal campaign we would gather signatures just by going to events you know doing a lot of things that we are already doing but you know in the moment when you can't stand outside of a supermarket and grab signatures that becomes you know a, a real challenge in a way that it wouldn't be under normal circumstances but we turned that in, into an organizing opportunity and, you know, mobilized volunteers around getting people to sign a piece of paper and, and, mail it back to us. And I think it, it just ended up being vastly more successful than any of us anticipated when we started, you know, we needed 3000 signatures by mail and we ended up with 23,000 um, and counting. Uh, they're still coming in. And, and I think that, you know, finding ways to, you know, to identify that opportunity within a a challenge that's been presented to us is something this team is really good at. And I continue to just marvel at, you know, our digital team and the members of our field team and our comms team as well that is, you know, really finding ways to continue to advance these values forward in a time that none of us have had to live through before.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. There is no this was completely unprecedented so congratulations to all of you because the work you guys are doing you should be really proud of yourselves um and that is all we have for today thanks for tuning in to team Markey tv episode two be sure to check out episode one and be on the lookout for more content from team Markey tv and to get involved with our grassroots movement be sure to visit edmarkey.com you can also visit support.edmarkey.com to create your own supporter page And also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ed Markey. Stay safe and stay healthy, everyone.
2: Bye. 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 Bye.